0: Hello, and welcome to the New Book Network Global Affairs Channel. I'm your host, Matthew Rafferty. I'm here with Dr. Robert Peckham, uh, professor of history at the University of Hong Kong and author of Epidemics in Modern Asia, published by the University of Cambridge Press. Welcome, Dr. Peckham. Thank you. Um, first, I'd like to uh, start by talking a little bit about your, um, your background and how you came to uh, focus on uh, Asian history and particularly the history of epidemics.
1: Well, I actually began as a historian of on the other side of Asia, so Western Asia, um, looking at the post-Ottoman world, uh, the breakup of the Ottoman Empire, this enormous polity that stretched to the tip of the Arabian Peninsula and all that North Africa and, and a lot of Southeast um, uh, uh, Europe, and I became very interested in um, in the degree to which sort of public health issues and disease were prominent in in the archives.
0: Um, and that led
1: me into uh, thinking about the connections between the Eastern Mediterranean, uh, West Asia and other parts of Asia, particularly uh, Southeast Asia with, with Mecca being one, one hub. So I became very interested in, in sort of connected histories and thinking about diseases um, as a way of, um, as a way of broaching um, a kind of transnational history. Um, and, uh, then I moved progressively towards um, East Asia, where I am now. And what came before this book was a project on the bubonic plague in the 19th century, um, the third uh, plague pandemic, uh, which um, hit Hong Kong in 1894. And then from Hong Kong spread globally to um, the United States, uh, Australia, Australia. Um, uh, Africa and obviously India, where it killed something in the region of 11 million people. Um, and again, this is a way of thinking of empire, um, in terms of these, um, pathways, um, of, of disease. So that's really the background, um, to this book, an interest in transnational connected history, um, and a way of, if you like, uh, rescuing history in the words of Juara from the, from the nation, um, from, from, there's tended to be uh, focus on national histories of disease, um, and what gets lost, I think, there uh, are these uh, interesting cultural, social, political, and economic uh, interconnections.
0: Um, and was the the work you were doing at the end of the Ottoman was that your graduate study, and then it it sort of led into these. Sort of larger and further eastern product uh, projects, or was that? Yes, so 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 it was it was um,
1: it, my my uh, PhD was looking at the um, the breakup of the Ottoman Empire and the emergence of of nation states, um, and it's in the context of of, of the states' role in managing um, epidemic control that I then became interested in thinking more explicitly about disease, rather than disease being just one aspect of. Um, of st- state, state, um, state interest.
0: And um, to go sort of even further back, um, you know, how, how did you come to the the study of history, you know, writ large? Um, you know, was that a, an interest from early
1: youth or? Yes. Yeah, so I've not, I've lo- I'm, I'm, I guess what I'm interested in is thinking about, and this is something quite prominent in epidemics in modern Asia is the connection between history uh, and the present. Um, those, um particularly studying diseases, there's a lot of pressure on history to have solutions or to have sort of answers for pressing contemporary issues. And of course, the relationship between history and the present is a complex one. So I guess very early on, I was sort of interested in parts of the world um, where uh, the legacies of history ha- have created um, a sort of political and social uh, environment that continues to pose challenges. Um, and so one of the interests very early on in this part of the world, i.e. the Eastern Mediterranean, the Middle East, was this, um, was an interest in cultural interactions. Um, and um, that's sort of led me uh, very much into the heart of, of the projects that I've been working on since on, on disease like epidemics in modern Asia. Um, but, um, you
0: know, did, so were these areas that you you know had an interest in i mean was there any sort of personal connection to the east or yes so
1: i i I mean i guess absolutely so i um have traveled a lot and as as a family we used to travel um to many many places so around the middle east uh and in asia so um you know and obviously, there's a very long connection with the subcontinent, uh, Britain. So, you know, we, I was traveling. I was interested in, tra- in traveling. Um, I actually have a, a relative who is a, 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 was a fairly well-known Byzantinist uh, called Stephen Runciman, um who, who inspired me. Um, uh, he was interested in very much this area of, of what used to be called the Levant, um, the Eastern Mediterranean Middle East. Um, And it's through, you know, um, talking to to, to people like that and traveling and thinking about these issues that I was sucked in and became absolutely preoccupied um, uh, by this world Um, and and through this world became interested in then following uh, disease. And I'm interested in disease very much as a lens for thinking about bigger social, cultural, political issues. And I think that's why, um, you know, I'm sort of cautious not, uh, in not being um, fitted into a narrow definition of a history of medicine or science or disease, because I see what I do is very much uh, related to broader histories.
0: Um, yeah, I think that's a, a sort of good segue into talking about this project in particular. Um, to turn to academics, uh, epidemics in modern Asia, the first thing I'd like to discuss is the um, is the really. I think, impressive scope of the project. You know, not only uh, are you dealing with a a vast and complex physical area, uh, you know, across different cultures, across different polities, um, but even just from the logistics of the project, you know, so many sources and so many uh, languages and so many archives dealing with these um, different epidemics and different diseases, um, how do you sort of Start approaching a project like that and finding a way to to slice off useful
1: chunks. Well, um, first of all, I'm um, you know this this work is trying to um, bring together, uh, synthesize a vast literature, and I'm very fortunate being at Hong Kong U that we have quite a focus on Eastern um, Asian uh, science uh, medicine. So I can draw on the work and, and, and interactions with colleagues here, which is very, very important and useful. Um, so one of the challenges of what I was trying to do is bring together these discrete bodies of, of, of literature and scholarship that don't often talk to each other. So there's a vast literature, for example, on, the, on India, on the subcontinent. There's a growing and important literature in East uh, Asia, and often they're not connected. Um, and I think this is where you know, um, almost a decade studying um, Empire in this part of the world um, was helpful. So, what I've tried to do is to draw on my own archival research in the British Empire, um, and then bring together and um, engage with uh, this this incredibly interesting um, and burgeoning literature on on disease. Um, I mean, one of the one of the I guess key themes in the book is thinking about what Asia is. So, I mean, the book. Um, raises as many questions as it answers um, and um, you know I'm trying to think about what Asia is I'm trying to think about uh, how history can work on different scales one of the challenges for historians of epidemics is thinking about um, a problem that is on, on the one hand microscopic i.e. bacteria or virus uh, and on the other hand is population um, uh, wide in terms of its impact demographically etc Um so how do, we, how do we think on different scales? So I think these are very topical and important issues given, you know, ten, uh, tensions and debates about the relationship between area stu- studies, world history, global history, and, and latterly the notion of planetary history itself by the idea that we need to see human societies within a broader ecological view. Um, so there's a kind of theoretical, um, methodological uh, interest running through the book um, uh, that I try to, if you like, bring to the fore through these four, uh, five themes, um, which are um, mobility, cities, uh, environment, and globalization.
0: Uh, yeah, I'd like to, I, I, I want to sort of delve into those themes and kind of how you came yeah. to them. But I actually, um, one of the things I was really struck with is is you begin with a series of, I think, really sort of thoughtful and nuanced and complex definitions of the basic terms. You mentioned right the first one of the first things you have to do is define Asia, yes right, but also you know defining disease, defining epidemic, right epidemic as opposed to pandemic as opposed to endemic diseases, um, you know defining modern right there 's sort of not a a single piece of even your brief title that doesn 't need kind of um, some thoughtful explanation um, and i 'd like to sort of talk about that process of defining and and particularly um a a term that seems to come up a lot that I found um, is is really helpful, but I think you know might be useful to unpack a little bit is the concept of translation right you talk about sort of translating diseases across cultures um across um, right across political entities right that they're you know it 's not just that they're uh meaning is or there the you know the the epidemiology is understood differently in different cultures with different medical traditions but even the meaning of what the disease is and what it uh portends is um yes
1: yes yeah. so um absolutely so i mean i see the the issue of translation is very important in thinking about epidemics in part because when we um retrospectively uh, diagnose um, we um, have to return to a vocabulary that is very different um, and appropriate that vocabulary into a modern vocabulary, so in other words, different cultures in different times have different words for diseases that have symptoms that we could perhaps recognize as say cholera but of course, that entails a kind of process of translate what I call translation in some um, contexts, as in Japan. Uh, where Chinese uh, concepts from from medical uh, thinking are being translated in, in, into Japanese. That's a much more conscious proce- process. So um, I think that, that this, this idea of translation is at the heart of what I'm thinking about, and I see it as related to this idea of um, cross-border mobility. So the um, issue that I'm really trying to explore is not only how, disease i biological agents move across borders but how interpretative systems and languages that describe them also move and in moving they adapt and i see the nearest way of explaining that is is a kind of translational process
0: um i'd also like to to kind of have you take us through the the book's five kind of central themes um a little bit um because it's, I, th- I think it's a very interesting approach, right? You don't go, I mean, very intentionally, because of I think what you're trying to accomplish here. You don't go region by region, or you know, subregion by subregion, or disease by disease, or chronologically across time. You've got these um, large themes that you explore in a number of ways, and I'd I'd love it if you could pull those out for us a little bit and kind of you know maybe take each it's- one in turn.
1: So so I'm I'm actually interested in how epidemics are produced um, and looking at the entanglement of biology, the social, the political, and the economic. Um, And I use uh, the five categories as lenses in, as approaches to that central problem of, of, of entanglement. And essentially what I'm trying to think about is how disease is produced by transformations that are social, economic, and political, um, at the same time, it, it itself, an epidemic, can have impacts that then uh, loop back to affect those, um, the, the social and the political and the economic, et cetera. So it's it's that relationship that I'm, I'm exploring through these, these five um, different um, concepts. So, I mean, yes, the, so the, the, the first one, mobility, I'm interested in. Um, thinking about Asia in this um, in this connected way, there's a very interesting literature that um, I guess from the last ten years, uh, particularly looking at the idea of circulations and it, circulations in, t- in terms of trade, in terms of movements of people. Um, obviously, for example, the Chinese impact on a lot of Southeast Asia is very profound. The impact in Southeast Asia also of sub- subcontinental culture. Um, so the, there's a very interesting circulatory history um, that I wanted to explore in relation uh, to, to disease. Um, so so that, was, that was a very, um, that, that came very naturally out of the work that I've been doing um, on empire. Uh, so that was mobility. Interesting, I, I was interested in thinking about urbanization, partly because where I live, which is um, Hong Kong on the Pearl River De- Delta, has essentially experienced this extraordinary experiment in urban, um, uh, urban living with, um, the Pearl River, uh, urban agglomeration, um, you know, in excess of 40 million people. Um, and the kinds of environmental, um, uh, challenges it poses, the kinds of social transformations and the economic realities, um, and thinking of all of those transformations historically, um, and the, the rise of, of of big port cities across Asia, so that very much linked to this idea of um, transnational um, circulation uh, the rise of these cities, and disease becomes a very interesting way of thinking about the ways in which cities are predicated on on certain kinds of transformations um, and that le- led very naturally to thinking about the kinds of environmental um, Uh, changes that have happened in asia you take an airplane and fly over borneo for example you look down and you see um the kinds of plantations um being cut out of the uh rainforest um and you know one of the features um in southeast asia and uh, and across asia is this incredible transformation and i was interested in thinking that historically and looking at, at it as a as a driver of of, of uh, new uh, new emerging infections and 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 um, and uh, so that 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 um, again was part of this interest in the biological, the social, the political, and the economic. Um, war again um, is interesting uh, from a point of view of scale. I was interested in thinking about how um, different kinds of conflict. Um, have have driven disease. Um, So looking at sort of, um, you know, uh, full battlefield kinds of conflicts um, to um, uh, civil wars and to insurgencies uh, and to colonization itself thought of as uh, as 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 war in terms of the US and the Philippines. Uh, And again, looking at disease as a way of thinking uh, about what war means and the scales of war and how war has become entangled with public health operations to prevent and manage disease. Um, And again, you know, I wanted to think about globalization through the lens of disease. A lot has been written about how global interconnectedness has driven disease. And I wanted to think um, about how the kinds of economic transformations that have happened, particularly in Asia uh, since the the 1980s and late 1970s, could actually shed new light on on how we think about globalisation. So I guess in uh, what I'm trying to do is not only think about Asia, but think about these um, very very uh, uh, essential categories, um, uh, and to show how disease and disease in Asia uh, can actually um, bring a new dimension to how we think about these.
0: Um, and I I think that. There's an interesting way in which that that sort of progression through from thinking about mobility to thinking about cities and and the changing urban environment to thinking about the environment you know sort of all of the the environmental changes or the connection between uh, epidemics and the environmental changes and then war and globalization is also a really nice way to rethink and and recast and retell the. The story of modern Asia from the rise of colonial empires to the anti-colonial moment to the post the creation of post-colonial states uh nation-states in Asia without it just being that kind of imperial to
1: national narrative I think you're absolutely right and that's one of the one of that's one of the problems I think there's a very rich literature on empire uh, particularly sort of European and to a lesser extent U.S. involvement in Philippines. So there's a big imperial literature, um, which tends to, I think, um, dominate the historiography uh, on disease in Asia. So what I was interested in, in doing is resituating empire within a much more complex um, environment. Um, so thinking about Japan, thinking about China, um, and thinking about sort of plurality of imperial formations. And in fact, one of the things that I was trying to do was to look at this sort of unevenness of political sovereignty. Um, That if we take a map uh, and you see these sort of um, monochrome, um, you know, uh, colours on the map that identify different imperial spaces seen through the lens of managing diseases, those spaces become much more heterogeneous, uh, much more um, ragged uh, and uneven. So I think, yes, one of the projects is uh, rethinking um, empire, in a sense, um, and um, you know, you know, one could make a grand claim like um, uh, this idea of provincializing Europe, um, the Chakrabarty idea, in other words, to um, to de-emphasize to a certain extent uh, the, uh, the the notion of um, empire being the preeminent uh, polity uh, in in Asia, the Western empire. Uh, and, you know, if one takes the Dutch East Indies, for example, uh, it's fascinating the extent to which, um, you know, their sovereignty, the sovereignty didn't extend in an even way over all the myriad islands that they nominally controlled. Um, so I think it is an interesting uh, way of, you know, rethinking empire. And um, I
0: think related to that, also the... Um, the economic or sort of the the history of capitalism aspect to this, right? The sort of, yes, the the disruptions and the expansions and the reordering of humans on the map to serve um, growing networks of trade and production um, that almost necessarily has enormous consequences for those populations and, and,
1: and you know, key yes. among those is is what happens with disease i think I think that's absolutely true i mean i for example in in the um sexual environment looking at the the birth of these um enormous industrial plantation complexes um you know which are On one hand, it's an environmental story of how uh, a a landscape is uh, altered uh, for capitalist industrial production. But on the other hand, it's a very human story, uh, you know, where millions of uh, laborers are are shipped in to work on those plantations. And so there's a transformation happening not only in the destination um, where those workers are going uh, and the kinds of health issues that they uh, confront, but also in the places they're coming from. Um so I think that, you know, um the story of the environment but then becomes a story of social change. And and it's that entanglement that I'm interested in looking at. And it's afterlife in contemporary Asia. And so, you know, we spoke a little bit about why I became interested in history. Um I'm interested in thinking about the complex links between the historical past and the present, uh, that has been shaped by forces of, of the, of the past. And obviously that, that linkage is, is, is complex. Um, so it isn't, um, an easy thing, uh, to attribute, uh, uh, aspects of the present in a, in a, in a linear way to the past, but thinking about that. And I think that particularly in an issue like, um, infectious diseases, which remains, um, you know, a critical, um, uh, security issue globally, um, I think there's a lot of pressure on historians um to formulate some sort of um argument about why history matters. And
0: and yet you know also kind of avoid the you know, I I, I think some of the danger of global or or kind of multinational regional histories like this is sometimes they are asked to serve too tidily it's either a kind of um empire was bad um kind of moral yes. claim yes. Um, yes or alternately the older kind of um you know triumphalist story um you know dealing with these topics especially it's it's got to be particularly important and particularly challenging to avoid the kind of Asia as a site of infection, as a, as a quote-unquote hotspot on the one hand, both historically and in the modern era, but also avoid the kind of celebratory march of Western medicine reaching eastward and, you know, taming backward people and backward practices and all that kind of problematic language that is still, I think, especially to historians' ears and eyes, um, kind of alarmingly still present in in some of these sort of global histories and, and the history of medicine
1: in particular i think that you've put it very you put it very well i think that's exactly right this idea of a of a western technology that disseminates um from the metropole um and asia being as uh, a site that receives it uh, and is transformed by it and i but i i think that um um, you know, what's interesting and heartening, I think there, there's been a very interesting, very interesting scholarship looking at um, uh, medicine, say, in India, medicine in China, looking at the complex co-production of Western and ind- indigenous healing practices uh, to show that it, a far more complex dynamic than one of, you know, center periphery position, uh, deposition of a local um, uh, you know, local institutions of, 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 medicine, et cetera. Um, but I think the, um, the, the, the point you make about, um, about the triumphalist, um, historiography on empire is, 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 is important. Um, uh, and then the flip side of that, seeing empires, uh, you know, as a, as a, as a sort of demonic force that crushes everything. Um, and instead what I tried to do in this book is to resituate empire, um, to show its, uh, its coexistence with a plurality of other kinds of regimes. Um, So that hopefully it can retextualize that story of, you know, triumphal empire. I think that the other thing in the history of epidemics and disease um, from the seventies and sixties, you've got very interesting global histories. They tended to be um, Atlantic histories. um, uh, So Crosby and, um, and others, um, but what's interesting in global histories of disease, Asia tends to be a very marginal part of that global uh, story. So you're absolutely right. Asia tends to be the places that, from which diseases emerge. And then what, we really are, what historians seem to be most interested in is their impact, say, with cholera in Europe and North America. But of course, cholera uh, in the 19th century had a huge impact on Asia itself. So really, I was trying to recalibrate that story and place Asia at the center of how we think about disease, Um, recognizing, as you put it, the challenge that you could end up replicating uh, the story of Asia as a hotspot. So, you know, one has to grapple with the fact that, um, uh, you know, for example, where I live uh, is particularly vulnerable to emerging infectious disease um and there 's a reason why that is um so without sort of denying um that sort of uh, reality um to explore the complexities of how they 've been imagined uh is a is what i tried to do in this story um
0: yeah, I think that 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 sort of brings to mind the the really interesting sort of backs and forths. Um, I, I'm thinking about the the one anecdote in there um, that actually, uh, where Gandhi is speaking about, is it, it, sort of giving a critique of the railroad, right? Not as not as a, a mark of progress, but as a, a, a mechanism of disruption and a harbinger of disease. Yes, and, yes. Um, you know that that it, the technologies coming from the west, um are also, you know, part of the disruption and part of these vectors, even if they're also part of, at least in the Western imagination, you know, the solution, the civilization, the cure, at
1: least in kind of the 19th century high imperial sense. I mean, that's something that really interests me, the idea that, um, you know, the technologies that are um, developed with one purpose end up having these countervailing uh, effects um, that call for new technologies in order to deal with the, the problems that they're causing. And it, particularly in the, in the bubonic plague, which is, um, you know, this construct of the plague as the kind of medieval ancient disease. Um, and I was, interesting, I was interested in thinking about modernity in relation to this sort of um, uh, this aura of, of the ancient disease and thinking about precisely these, condu- these circuits um, like the railway, like steamships, etc., that were actually driving this disease. Um, so, yeah, part of the story is precisely this: that that um, the so-called tools of empire ended up in um, you know working in reverse, if you like, um, and ex- exacerbating problems. Um, you know, one could tell a different story. Uh, we we'll, could we'll tell the same story through a different technology, like the telegraph system. So the telegraph system, on on the one hand, provides them for the management of crisis in empire, uh, but on the same at the same time, it provides these conduits for panic um, that can uh, undermine the very purpose that they were imagined for. And it's these kinds of contradictions um, and countervailing forces uh, that I'm sort of interested in exploring in, in the context of India with with these sort of modern tools like railway, et cetera.
0: Um, <laughs> um, and even the, the, sort of, the sort of, the not, um, the, the less physical technologies, I'm very interested in the the parts where you talk about kind of technologies of control and surveillance and how they're built often out of these crises. Um, so not just, it's just you yes. know, not just in Asia, but also back Um, you know, back in Europe and elsewhere, they're thinking about sort of the disease as an important um, uh, prompt or, um, you know, I guess sort of providing the the necessary crisis to create and expand modern state bureaucracies, whether those are imperial or post-imperial and national. And I, I was struck by kind of the... And also in the way cities are ordered and organized, um, and used and traveled through and understood, I was struck by, um, and I'm going to get the two cities wrong, but the there was a comparison in here that that you know in some ways Manchester is as much an imperial city or sort of a project of empire in its order and construction as as Mumbai. Yes. So I mean, uh,
1: the, uh, the, the 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 notion of Crisis is very is, is very I think central to this this book exploring what a crisis is and uh, the, the the idea of an epidemic as a crisis that um, that provides opportunities um, you know for the state for example to move in and expand its remit and it, and uh, impose uh, policies that wouldn't be uh, it wouldn't be able to do in, in non crisis time uh, and like then the old cynical saying of never let a crisis go to waste. Exactly, uh, but then they uh, th- then at the same time thinking about the ways in which crisis then um, undermines state authority. So there's a two 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 ways, and the dynamic is complex between crises and and political authority. But then thinking, you know, um, uh, about what a crisis is, and uh, about the ways in which the crisis can actually. Skew our, 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 our skew our way of thinking about history, so that we only see the crisis moments and we don't see the non-crisis moments. And it's something that Janet Reutman in a book Anti-Crisis, raises: um, Is it possible to do history um, uh, a non-crisis history? To write a non-crisis history? Are we inevitably always going to write about crisis? Um, so one of the one of the one of the tensions in the history of disease is that obviously a lot of diseases. Um, and this goes back to the issue of endemic and the epidemic, a lot of diseases are background sounds. Um, you know, they're a constant in a population. Um, and then epidemics are are moments where that disease is framed in a particular way. And so I'm interested in how uh, disease episodes uh, can be framed as crisis, perhaps with a political reason, uh, with a rationale and a motivation. So it's, a, it's um, you know, Um, I think you're absolutely right to identify crisis as an an important um, uh, defining uh, category in this book. And, you know, one can move it to contemporary world where some diseases um, suddenly gain a visibility. Um, So if you you take Zika, for example, it suddenly becomes visible. And yet it's apparent that it's been around a very long time. Dengue fever. I have a um, a student working on a history of dengue fever in Asia, uh, has a long history but it somehow hasn't gained a visibility that other um, uh, mosquito-borne diseases like malaria uh, ha- have gained. So there's an issue about why some diseases become visible, why um, the state mobilizes um, around certain diseases rather than other diseases, why some episodes become crisis and others don't become crisis. Um, mm-hmm. Part of the interest in the book is exploring how that happens
0: do you think it's useful it's, to think of those in in terms of kind of moral panic where it's the the state response or the or the sense of crisis in a population is uncoupled in a way from the actual threat so you know, some diseases uh, people shrug and say well you know it is thus and has always been thus and others you know one person sneezes and everybody freaks out or the state is yes, you yes. know i mean the I, really interested in the the kind of disproportionate responses with quarantine and limiting of mobility and things like that for some of these outbreaks and diseases where others, you know, it's either too important that trade continue or labor move, or it simply doesn't catch the imagination, sort of instill the same kind of fear, um, Is that too kind of culturally and moment specific to say anything more general about that, or is that, um, or is there something that that makes you know what makes a disease you know go viral if if you (laughs) worst (laughs) recycling of a
1: of a. So these are. That's a very. Interesting question, and I I actually edited a book called Empires of Panic, which looks at the history of panic and how panic is produced. I think it's a very important um, issue. Um, what I've, I what I feel is that panic is um, often a compound; these are compounded crises. So, in the case of say Hong Kong and during the plague in 1894, um, there's a biological uh, uh, threat from plague, um, but then there are anxieties over uh, the A colonial community versus an overwhelmingly Chinese population um, there are worries about economics and trade et etc. So when all of these come together, they produce panic so it 's a kind of compounded notion of crisis but I think that what 's interesting is the um, is the ways in which different kinds of panic um, sort of are co produced so in the case of um, uh, an epidemic happening um, often Governments panic in their response, um, uh, perhaps anticipating panic in local populations. And then local populations may panic, um, uh, creating again this loop back uh, into uh, government response. Um, So the idea that panic is something that ill-informed people do, i.e. native populations, um, rather than than governments, is... is, um, (laughs) Is a fiction. And so it's really, really tracing tracing these convoluted processes of panic. And, of course, I think new technologies like the telegraph uh, and later radio and, and telephone and radio um, become means for the circulation. I mean, after all, when East Asia is linked to capital markets like London and it takes, you know, 52 minutes um, from Hong Kong to London, uh, a crisis in Asia can... Uh, Alter markets in London and New York, so there's then a transnational panic happens, and I think you start to see that at the end of the 19th century with um, influenza um, pandemics that, that that are global that can go around the world in four months, um, and they and they and they produce this, uh, different kinds of panics. Um, so I think I think panic is a very important part of what you were talking about, the crisis uh, and the visibility of, of a disease, and often. Um, the disease crisis turns out not to be in fact about disease, but to be about fears of trade or mobilities of people, um, etc. So when we look at crises happening around the world today, I think, whether it 's uh, you know, refugee migration issues, um, they 've compounded their issues there that, uh, that are political, economic uh, and also disease figures as one of the uh, anxieties, if you like.
0: Yeah, I think that there's. It's really interesting the way that, um, as you said, these can kind of compound the the fear of the disease can sort of topple markets. The fear of you know the other you know a a racially distinct population can create fantasies of disease, um, and fear of disease at the first sign, right? And yes, the the kind of racial or cultural or kind of moral quarantining that goes on that doesn't always match very well with the, um, not just the level of threat, but even the the kind of actual lines of the vectors of disease. Yes. And th- I think that's
1: where we, where we get into the sort of cultural um, sort of uh, context, the ways in which, you know, this othering, uh, the ways in which certain communities, are identified as disease carriers, um, and of, of course, you know, much of the book is about a world that is that is pre pre biomedicine, um, where a lot of the disease entities weren't understood, and so in that ca- context, stigmatizing becomes a way of attributing agency, um, and in a sense, understanding uh, the disease um, and offering a solution to a problem. Um, so, absolutely, I'm, I'm interested in. In, in the sort of cultural um, aspects of, of quarantining in particular. Um, and there's a very strong, I think, geographical spatial time dimension to the book. Um, um, it's very concerned with, um, different spaces, be it spaces that are, uh, inside these kind of radical interventions, uh, the spaces of, um, that, that are the spaces of quarantine, uh, boundaries, transgressions, translations, um, so it's a, it's a kind of spatial history in one sense,
0: um, and that I think that ties in also with this um, the not just sort of the movement, you know, spatial in the sense of things moving around or things being defined by place, but also um, you have an argument in here about the importance, the, sorry, the importance of um, disease and epidemic uh in developing kind of conceptions of citizenship and identity in
1: in the newer nation states yeah. so I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in the way in which um you know ideas of rights rights to health the right to health um and the idea of um you know being a good citizen entails being healthy and looking at the the these ideas as they, as, as they work in, in East Asian societies. Um, and of course, you know, a radical um, example of that is, is, is China under Mao um, and the ways in which, um, you know, uh, populations were mobilized in the fight against disease. Um, so this idea, I think, is very closely connected. Um, you know, in Europe, it's one of the aspects that comes out of the French Revolution, I guess, right? The centrality of health, Uh, and the beginnings of a notion that the state has an obligation uh, in providing health for its citizens, and reciprocally that the citizens have an obligation to lead healthy lives in order to sustain the state. Um, So I'm interested in thinking about state citizenship, again, through the lens of disease and its obverse, which is health.
0: To ask a a far more sort of less lofty and less academic question, um, you know, which of these diseases freaks you out the most? So in other words,
1: it would be I suppose it would be one of the hemorrhagic diseases like Ebola. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I think that um,
0: (laughs) so fast, so catastrophic.
1: I mean, and what's interesting about Ebola is, um, you know, the degree to which there are lots of, there are many aspects of it that we still don't understand. Um, so yes, I, I would say a hemorrhagic disease like 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 Ebola, you know, um, a viral disease like that. Um, and I, you know, it's it's interesting. I think that we um, we face you know huge challenge in dealing with these um, uh, the, these diseases, and I think Ebola is a great example. In fact one of the one of the things I'm now thinking about in a in a in a new project is precisely the kinds of surveillance technologies um you know that are developing in order to preempt um, uh, disease outbreaks
0: and that's probably a you know a, a good place to to go here is to think about or you know to to ask you about um what is coming next um
1: so, so I have, the, the, so there are two projects I'm working on that very much relate to this. One is the history of surveillance technology, which essentially I'm interested in tracking how um, communication technologies from the telegraph, uh, the telephone, radio, and, and then onwards to the world of the internet, how, um, how, how these have been co-opted into disease surveillance um, and using case studies um, to shed light on communication and surveillance. And so I recently uh, completed a piece on looking at satellite technology, which is interesting that during the Ebola crisis, um, satellite high-resolution imagery was very critical um, to um, managing the humanitarian or medical crisis on the ground, but also in thinking about the specific hotspots uh, that were likely, uh, you know, where, where Ebola was likely to emerge as a problem. Um, and it's interesting that a lot of literature it has been devoted to on the ground surveillance, but actually relatively little has been written about the implications of surveillance going spatial. Um, in other words, that we have to look up to see the structure of how space is being organized um, and who owns it and who's involved. Um, so, I'm interested again in, in a chance historical project that, that tracks the evolution of communication technology in relation to um, to disease surveillance, and then another project. I'm actually very fortunate in in going on a sabbatical uh, where I'll be spending uh, a year at NYU, and I'm that's a project looking at um, the Eastern Mediterranean as a critical zone in its relation with Asia, and again, sort of in the sense returning to where I started this whole um, thinking on disease um, is looking at um, different disease episodes as windows into thinking about um, Europe and Asia uh, in what is now, I think, reemerging post the Ottoman Pact disintegration in Iraq and uh, Syria as a, as a very important place um, for, again, challenging how we think about states, uh, the state's role in managing uh, crises. So the two interrelated uh, projects are both very much focused on thinking about um, social political processes through disease. Um, and I see them as extensions of, of the kinds of thinking that's going on in epidemics of modern Asia.
0: And I think that's that's probably um, a, a good place to, to start to come to a close since um, that's a research agenda that probably is – so substantive that you need to get back to work immediately um (laughs) but i i do want to um thank you so much for talking with me and um talking about this project with the new book network and um the the book is epidemics in modern asia and uh thank you very much thank you
1: very much matthew